0: Hey,
1: listeners, it's Reed. You're about to hear a classic episode of Masters of Scale from the Vault. Today's episode is Make It Epic with Will. I Am. We originally released this episode in 2019, and it has become a fan favorite. To hear the complete, unedited interview that I had with Will, become a Masters of Scale member by going to slash membership. Now, on to the show.
2: At our number when we do Boom Boom Power, I'd be rocking them beats. I had everybody in the light up suits form an arrow and lean forward so they could point to the beat. I was like, Look, I have an arrow that's pointing to what you need to pay attention to.
1: That's Will I Am. You know Will I Am, frontman of the Black Eyed Peas, among other distinctions. He's describing his Super Bowl halftime show from 2011. But to understand the triumph in his voice, I think we need to start the
2: story a bit earlier. We were rehearsing for the Super Bowl. While we were on tour in Brazil, while I was writing a new album, right when me and Mark Benioff's relationship began.
1: Mark Benioff is the co-CEO of Salesforce. Will had partnered with them. Wrote their new app called Chatter, and he saw an opportunity.
2: And I said, Hey, Mark, why don't you do a Super Bowl ad? He was like, Yeah, we've been thinking about that. I was like, You know, we're playing the Super Bowl.
1: The ads, they'd feature a cartoon Will I Am walking out of the animation and onto the live stage. Just before he walked on the actual live stage, there were obvious challenges to pulling this off. Not the least of which was the lack of ad spots to buy. Will called up Fox, who was broadcasting the game.
2: Hey, this is where I am. You know, we're playing on the Super Bowl this year. I want to buy some time. And they were like, "Well, it's already sold." I was like, "Well, you could create a new ad buy."
1: Will pitched Fox on creating two new ad slots that would bookend the halftime
2: show. That's a new unit you could sell at a premium. If the person's performing has eleven minutes and they purposely forfeit a minute, 30 seconds, and they only play 10 minutes, that's an awesome business model.
1: Will was giving up his own time, but he knew those ads were worth more than the extra time on stage. In fact, the bookends would make all the stage time more valuable. They linked his Super Bowl performance to his other project with Salesforce. The network finally agreed, the ads ran, the animation worked, and that's why I believe...
2: Oh, no, no, check this out. And then I was like, yo, can we get the Black Eyed Peas logo to be on the field? That's right. Having pulled off a
1: previously unimagined sponsor integration, Will. I M is just getting warmed up. The Super Bowl is a pretty big gig, but Will knew he could make it bigger. Not content to simply perform on stage, He wants the Black Eyed Peas logo on the field as part of the choreography. But the NFL had a strict no-logo policy on their
2: turf. I was like, you cannot write anything on our field. I was like, well, what about U2's logo? U2 wrote love. What about Rolling Stone? They had their lips, that's a logo. There's no words. What about Prince? Well, Prince had his symbol, no words.
1: What you want to listen for is the way Will strategizes, not just for the black-eyed peas, but also for the headphone company Beats, in which he was a part
2: owner. I was like, okay, what if we used love?
3: Love, 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 love,
2: love. But the stick of the L and the O to create a B. They're like, okay. The NFL
1: said, okay. And during that epic 2011 halftime show, the word love did appear colossal and glowing with LED lights on the darkened field. But here's the thing. The word love doesn't light up until nine minutes into the 10-minute show. And the rest of the time, it's just a B. A B that stands for black-eyed peas, but also just happens to look exactly like a certain logo.
2: So I put a massive Beats logo in the center of the field. So the NFL didn't know what we were doing. At our number, when we do Boom Boom Pow, I'd be rocking them Beats. I had everybody in the light-up suits form an arrow and lean forward so they could point to the B. I was like, look, I have an arrow that's pointing to what you need to pay attention to.
1: Most musicians would consider the Super Bowl a big opportunity in itself. They'd prepare their performance and take the applause. But Will didn't see a single opportunity. He saw a way for his opportunities to multiply. He leveraged the Super Bowl to the benefit of three brands. The Black Eyed Peas, Beats, and Salesforce. Think of each brand as one panel in a trifold mirror where each panel reflects not just the band or the brand, but each other's reflections as well. Angle it just right, and the compounding reflections will stretch into infinity. I believe you should never settle for a big opportunity when you can leverage it into something epic. A win on the scoreboard isn't enough when you can change the whole game.
4: It's a writing partner from the blank page to the last word typed before hitting send. Join me and over 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly to work faster, hit their goals, and keep their data secure. Visit Grammarly.com to learn more. That's Grammarly.com.
1: I'm Reid Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, partner at Greylock, and your host. And I believe you should never settle for a big opportunity when you can leverage it into something epic. A win on the scoreboard isn't enough when you can change the whole game. And before we go any further, I have a confession to make. I am a Super Bowl skeptic. Will and I couldn't help but laugh about this during the interview. I frequently get pitched on, oh, we should go do a Super Bowl ad, right? Because it's like, well, let's say it's your debutante moment and <laughs> you know everyone will pay attention to you. And I'm usually like, "Ah, that's totally vanilla. Don't do that. That's the generic thing that everyone's doing." And so I'm usually the negative voice on this. And yet, you did some amazing things around the 2011 Super Bowl ad. Oh we, Why did we?: Will I am Super Bowl story clearly challenges my longtime view. And it also shows how you can take the big opportunities that come your way, the ones most people would just be grateful for. And turn them into something bigger still. I wanted to talk to Will I Am about this because his ability to identify and compound opportunities is like nothing I've ever seen. You probably know him as a musician, the founding member of the Black Eyed Peas. He was also an original partner in the headphone behemoth Beats, and he's had a wearable consumer tech company called I Am Plus. And there's his foundation, bringing STEM programs to schools. Then there was that time he was the director of innovation at Intel. And that other time, he wrote the song for the iconic Yes We Can video during the 2008 election. By the way, Will am also co-hosts a great podcast called Pivot to the Future. And I had the fun of being his guest. His co-host is Omar Abash the group chief executive at Accenture. His guests, some of the biggest names in business. The topic, how companies are continuously reinventing themselves to thrive in our digital age. And reinvention comes naturally to Will am. He rejects the received definition of limits, and it starts with how he grew up.
2: I was raised really poor, but my creativity was my currency. It kept me out of trouble. Trouble meaning the local gang didn't bother me. Trouble meaning being bullied for being poor, going to a a very rich school, didn't happen because, you know, I was the creative. That was William. William, do that little rap you were doing. You can hear in that story how
1: Will learned to move between worlds.
2: So if people call me William, they know me from school. They call me Willie, they know me from my neighborhood. They call me Will. It's work.
1: When Will was still in high school, he formed the hip-hop group that would eventually become the Black Eyed Peas. They gained some traction in the underground hip-hop scene, opening for bigger acts like Macy Gray, and they had some regular play on MTV. They had a distinct sound and a devoted niche audience. And then there was this stylistic shift towards something a bit more mainstream, like any entrepreneur who spies a bigger audience or bigger opportunity, Will decided to pivot.
2: That was rebellion, not a pivot. Sorry, there was this rebellion. You know, we started off as an underground, jazzy hip-hop group, and my ex-girlfriend worked at this uh, underground record store. She got upset with me, the community got upset when MTV chose to play our song like seven times a day. And she said, that's why you guys are pop like, what do you mean we're pop? We're not pop. And she used that as a stabbing thing, and I was hurt that she said that. So I was like, you know what? Just to show them, I'm going to leave this world, and I'm going to shoot for a bigger audience.
1: Will took that insult and turned it into possibility. His band was already finding success. Consistent MTV and radio play, touring gigs, screaming fans, the works. But Will wanted more. He saw a window... To create a bigger opportunity. He changes sound and change the game.
2: I want to make music for people, not just people that like what I like. And that's harder than making underground music. Making music for people that like what you like, that's pretty easy. You know exactly what they want here. Trying to get other walks of life, old, young, Muslim, Jew, you know, black and white, male, female. That is freaking hard.
1: Notice the way Will articulates this crucial insight about scale. I want to make music for
2: people, not just people that like what I like.
1: Will wanted to move beyond the people who already knew him and liked him. In the music world, that's called going pop, but it relates directly to the business world. In startups, we might call that gaining traction or expanding beyond your early adopters, Will has a lot to share about going mainstream without losing what made people love you. I asked them about his playbook. You said, okay, I'm going to go do this.
2: What was the next step? Oh, to study the people that have done it over and over again. I studied Lana Ritchie and Commodore songwriting, Stevie Wonder songwriting, Bob Marley. Bob Marley was making Rastafarian music, but the thing in common that he had with the Beatles was the chord progressions. You know, like one four fives and all these different chord progression. That's the commonality between a hit and not a hit. Why jazz is jazz, and obscure music is obscure music. The ones at work share a lot of these chord progressions.
1: In other words, this was much more than a marketing push. The change was foundational. Will wanted to create music that created leverage. And to do that, he had to build a different foundation underneath his music, a foundation that could sport massive compound growth. The key, as it turns out, was chord progressions.
0: One, four,
1: I find it as fascinating
2: as Will did. i are like, get the F out of here. Are you serious, bro? I studied more and more and more and applied that songwriting to the Black Eyed Peas. This new approach to
1: songwriting set the Black Eyed Peas up for massive growth. But Will's insight applies to more than just songwriting. It's a kind of leverage that starts at the beginning, at the foundation of anything you build. In business, you might need to innovate on the go-to-market strategy, rebuild your code base, or create a new differentiated hiring strategy. Whatever your foundation, a metaphor might help. Imagine you're a kid playing with wooden blocks. You want to build the tallest skyscraper you can. You want to be the Frank Gehry of your kindergarten. As an industrious little builder, you realize that a super tall tower starts with a solid foundation. But there's a limit to how stable that tower can be because it's still made of blocks that can slide apart. A strong breeze, a careless door slam, that tower's coming down. Now swap those wooden blocks for, say, Lego bricks. That tower can go higher and higher. It can be 114 feet tall with 550,000 pieces. That's the current record anyway. Interlocking bricks give you leverage. Instead of a single precarious tower, you can build an entire skyline. And it was this kind of leverage thinking that Will brought to his music. He didn't randomly write catchy tunes. He strengthened his music's foundation based on the building blocks proven to work. And he brought this thinking to the band itself. He knew they needed a brand he could leverage into ever bigger opportunities. It's a page he took from the business world.
2: When I started working with ad agencies, they had a brand bible. Where for every product, they had a font, a color scheme. That's when I started applying all that stuff to the Black Eyed Peas. We had a color scheme, a font, and chord progressions that associated itself with that. When
1: did you start realizing that you'd had to be creative, not just in songs and performances, but also in the way that you thought about music as an industry, music as a product, music as a service?
2: Yeah, it was because I had a manager that was from New York and didn't know how to drive. So I had a car, and I would drive him to our meetings and sit in the meetings and listen
1: Driving your manager around town might strike you as an obligation, but Will saw an opportunity to gain leverage.
2: Like, what? what? What do you mean, publishing? Oh, there's a separate deal I have to get other than just a record deal? What do you mean, mechanical royalties? What's that?
1: Will started to train his eye toward ever bigger opportunities, but his focus was still on making records. Then he wrote his
2: first song for a TV commercial and a light bulb turned on. Once we had music out, I saw how much money I made selling records versus how much money I made being lucky to have, you know, made a song for Dr. Pepper. I moved my mom out to ghetto with a 30-second song. Meanwhile, the two albums that I made that were like two hours worth of music, I had $20,000 in the bank. So that's when I realized that there was a different world. This
1: realization that there's a different world may resonate with many of you listening. Because it's not just about a musician who discovers marketing budgets. It's anyone who realizes there's more money to make, more value to create, more impact to have when you gain leverage. So Will learned a lot in those early meetings. The biggest lesson, the value of meeting with producers, with marketers, with brands, Each new connection creates a new way to find leverage.
2: So I like to network, because those fields usually never come across the talent. There's always some medium there, some manager, some agent. I wanted to interface directly with the executives at record companies, like Jimmy Iovine, or the executives at ad agencies. Jimmy Iovine
1: is, of course, the legendary music producer and co-founder of Interscope Records. He's also the co-founder of Beats Electronics so you can tell he's going to stay in the story. Jimmy's first big hit as a producer was a collaboration between Bruce Springsteen and Patti Smith, and he built his career on unexpected pairings, working with artists from U2 and Tom Petty to 50 Cent, Eminem, and Dr. Dre.
2: Jimmy told me something one day that sticks with me. He was like, well, you're the kind of person that if you stay at the table long enough, you'll figure it out. You just gotta figure out a way to stay at the table or be the table. I'm like, what, be the table? What, mind blown.
1: Be the table. It sounds like a Zen mantra, but it's great business advice. Being at the table means you're in the room when life-changing opportunities present themselves. Being the table means you're the one creating and leveraging those opportunities. It was in meetings with Jimmy himself where Will, learned how it was done.
2: Jimmy loved having different disciplines in the room. So say, for example, it was 1 p.m., I had a meeting with Jimmy. Classic Jimmy Ivy is that your 1 p.m. would start at 2, but you'll be sitting in the room with a meeting that lingered, and here's the guy from Activision. So now there's three people in a meeting, and then your meeting that was supposed to start at 1, that started at 2, now his 3 o'clock is there. Now there's four people in a meeting, and that's 3 o'clock is the guy from MySpace. And then we're all in a room trying to figure out how to get in front of the eyes and the ears of people.
1: If sitting in on his manager's meetings taught Will how the business works, sitting in on those meetings with Jimmy showed him something else, how partnerships create their own leverage. Whether it's finding a co-founder for your startup or a brand collaborator for your company, teaming up with unexpected partners can grow opportunities, not just linearly, but exponentially. It's like the scene in Ratatouille, the Pixar film. Remy the rat is explaining to his brother why two complementary foods in combination taste better than each one individually. They taste first berry, then cheese, then berry and cheese together. Colorful fireworks flash in their minds. Message? The whole really is greater than the sum of its parts. And this is the insight that lets you leverage a big opportunity into something truly epic. I wanted to show you another example of how this plays out. So I took a look at a stunning project beginning on the New York City waterfront. It started, like many epic projects, in the wake of disaster.
5: Lower Manhattan, along with a lot of neighborhoods in New York City, were very hard hit during Hurricane Sandy the Ed substation on 14th Street Blue, and it famously caused everything south of 34th Street to go dark. That's Jeremy Siegel, an urban designer with
1: Bjark Ingels Group, also known as BIG. And the first thing you need to know about BIG is that they share Will's capacity to leverage BIG projects into something epic. In one of their most famous projects, they want a bid to redesign a power plant in Copenhagen and they turned it into a four-season artificial ski slope, which also had the world's highest climbing wall on its exterior. In New York, they won the bid to protect Manhattan from future storms. It was a billion dollars in federal funding, and the goal was to build a physical U-shaped shield around the southern tip of Manhattan. But Jeremy wanted to build more than a wall.
5: When we started our work, we were basically looking for opportunities to take what could be you know, really burdensome, ugly, completely uniform flood protection infrastructure and turn it into something that would be a benefit for the city. Jeremy and his team knew that a giant wall around half the
1: city would be a disaster, cutting entire communities off from the waterfront. So instead, they teamed up with those communities to
5: find out what their infrastructure needs were. We basically just started working with the communities and neighborhood by neighborhood put forward a series of options from really basic flood walls that would block people off from the waterfront to, you know, what if it's urban furniture that's helping to stop the water? What if it's buildings? What if it's parkland? neighborhood by neighborhood, we started to see what the needs and desires were, and that's what ended up informing our proposal. So the big U is actually made up of a series of little U's. Jeremy's team
1: won $335 million to implement this series of delightful, little, coast-protecting U's. New Yorkers, if you don't know about the big U project, you will soon. Its size
5: and scope goes way beyond what could have just been a wall. Essentially, rather than building a wall, we're building an elevated park. So the park itself will be what stops the water uh, from coming in when you have a big storm surge like Hurricane Sandy. We're adding all kinds of recreational spaces, space to sunbathe and have picnics, the kinds of spaces that don't really exist in the park today. You know, it's also not just big. We're working with huge teams of engineers, landscape architects, ecologists, economists to make the right decisions. You can't do this stuff alone. Jeremy and his team at
1: Big took the big opportunity of protecting the New York City coast and leveraged it into something epic with the help of partners. This is the skill Will I.M. started cultivating while sitting at the table with Jimmy Iovine and others. I was curious if that helped him spot the opportunity with Apple. Right, so you succeed. And then you start applying that and doing the same kind of synthetic fusion and other things. So you see, for example, the iTunes platform coming. And you go, there's some amazing stuff we can do here.
2: So iTunes was, uh, at that point in time, nobody knew. For me to be like, yo, I knew it was going to be big. I didn't know.
1: Will may not have known that iTunes would be big, but he knows an opportunity when he sees it. So when Apple needed a new song to help launch their brand new product, the iTunes Store, Will saw a big opportunity he could leverage into something with epic potential. And so did Jimmy.
2: So Jimmy says, uh, you know, Will, Apple's coming out with this new product called iTunes. I'm like, what? Nobody knew what that was. It's going to help us fight Napster. Because he brought the catalog from Universal Music over to Apple.
1: And at this point, Will has been in the room enough to know he had to get leverage early on. He started angling for his percentage.
2: When they came to us and said, hey, they want to use a Black Eyed Peas song for the commercial, my first instinct was, well, how much are we getting paid? Because Dr. Pepper paid me a whole lot of money. They were like, you're not getting paid any money. Apple doesn't have that type of budget. So they said, they'll give you some Apple computers, some laptops. This
1: was a curveball for Will. If the iTunes store was going to be such a big deal, why wouldn't they pay for a song? And it would have been logical to pass on the commercial and wait for something that gave him more leverage. But something about this potential partnership with Apple captured Will's imagination. He had a lifelong love of Apple as a brand, dating back to his youth and using an Apple IIc.
2: The Apple was my instrument. I'm more a coder than I am a musician. And I just wanted to share my you know, enthusiasm and love for open Apple everything. This is language for me. I create with this. And I just wanted to share that.
1: Will had no way of being sure the iTunes store was going to take off. But he loved Apple as a brand. And he said yes. The Black Eyed Peas helped unveil the iTunes store in 2003. And if you're wondering how it all worked out, there's a reason you're hearing my voice on a podcast. (laughs) Podcast. Will and the Black Eyed Peas leveraged that launch into numerous product launches that followed.
2: Like when Verizon started to Vcast, we were there. When Nokia started, comes with music, launched that with them.
1: Will started looking closely at the business model he'd been a part of, in which the art is used to sell the product. It's a model that's existed since before the gramophone, a fact that Will talks about regularly. When the music in the ads feels vital and current, consumers will want that music and that device right now. We'll saw a new and epic opportunity in the making. And we'll hear all about it after the break.
0: Hey, listeners. It's Jodine Dorsey, the VP of Live Events at Wait What? The company behind Masters of Scale. And over 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly to work faster, hit their goals, and keep their data secure. Visit Grammarly.com to learn more. That's Grammarly.com.
1: Before the break, Will had worked with Apple on the launch of the iTunes Store, followed by a series of other products. Will saw the massive potential of using art to sell a hardware product. Another light bulb went off. He pitched Jimmy Iovine on an idea.
2: So one year, 2006, I come home and I'm like, Jimmy, why don't we make our own hardware and use our own music to sell our own hardware?
1: we Will saw a path to greater and greater leverage. If version 1.0 was a soda company, we'll license our song for a lot of money. Version 2.0 was Apple, will license our song for no money, but will leverage an epic brand opportunity. And version 3.0, well, Jimmy needed some convincing.
2: I'm like, Jimmy, why don't we make our own hardware and use our own music to sell our own hardware? He's like, well, that's why they call it hardware, it's hard. What do you mean, make our own hardware? Let's do our own hardware, Jimmy, that'll be amazing. And that's how we started Beats. But what was that
1: initial, like, well, actually, in fact, this channel by which we're using music, could actually be the way of creating an entire industry which people wouldn't have normally thought of around, like, you know, headphones, around a high-quality hardware product, which, as he said, is hard.
2: I saw the trust that people have with musicians,
0: Hmm.
2: especially the good ones, the great ones. They're vulnerable, and the audience knows they're vulnerable, and the audience leans on the musician to relate to them. And there's no other industry that exists that way, not politics, not corporations, music, and people, it's this other world thing. If Bob Marley was alive today, he would have, I don't know what product he would have, but he would have a product that people will adore. Or maybe maybe medical marijuana. Maybe maybe you have <laughs> Bob Marley CBD or something like that, yeah, but it, now that it's legal.
5: <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. Legal. The, the <laughs> exactly. Because um, that was among the kind of the thing that is not just being creative in the music, but creative about how the business comes together about how different industries touch each other, how they can actually reinforce each other. It would take some time before Jimmy would bring this hardware idea to Dr. Dre. As the story goes, they ran into each other on the beach in Malibu, and Jimmy learned that Dre was thinking about starting his own sneaker line. Famously, Jimmy retorted, Forget sneakers, let's make speakers. Interestingly, Will I M. isn't often mentioned in the official Beats origin story. But Jimmy never forgot where the inspiration to get into hardware came from.
2: The kind of person Jimmy is, he could have just ignored that I brought up the hardware discussion and gave me some finder's fee or seed creation money. To have me part of the company just shows his loyalty in building those networks. The Beats brand
1: exploded onto the music and lifestyle scene. And true to form, just as Jimmy Iovine didn't forget Will, Will didn't forget Beats. He did everything in his considerable power to highlight the Beats brand. Beats headphones and speakers are everywhere in Black Eyed Peas videos and songs. As Will mentioned earlier, there's a line right in the middle of their song, Boom Boom Pow.
2: I be rocking them Beats
1: will even wore them while being interviewed live on CNN in 2008 he was on screen next to the legendary poet maya angelou talking about barack obama's presidential campaign sporting a pair of beats headphones with their signature lowercase b casually around his neck and now we've almost come full circle back to will i am at the super bowl sneaking a giant beats logo past the NFL. But wait, there's one more level to this partnership still. In 2014, Beats was bought for $3 billion, creating a massive payday for its founding shareholders. The buyer? None other than Apple. It's very tempting to end our journey here. We've traveled from Will's Apple IIc in his childhood classroom to a post-jobs Apple buying Beats For a record sum. But if you think that this sale ended Will's quest for ever larger opportunities, you haven't really been listening. Will has ventured deeper and deeper into the tech world since that 2011 halftime show. And he's continuing to develop ideas that could turn into the next big, really big thing. Tell me about your workspace. As I understand it, it's literally called the future.
2: Yeah. When I was at Beats, I would come up with these wild ideas, and some of them would get heard, and a lot of them didn't. I would get frustrated, like, man, I just need my own team.
1: This is a continuation of the lesson that he learned with Beats. Artists benefit when they own the tech, not just when they help sell it.
2: When I got some disposable money, I got this building, and Jimmy was like, why do you got this? What are you going to do here? What is this? I was like, Jimmy, you don't understand. I'm going to have my developers right there. I have like a recording studio and stuff. Why are you going to have a recording studio next to developers? Oh, and then I'm going to have my CNC machine, my hardware stuff over there. What is this for? I was like, Jimmy, you don't understand, man. In the future, like hardware companies are software companies and content companies. So I want to prepare for that. Apple being a hardware company, starting iTunes tells you that maybe they're going to want to do and make their own content. So I want to prepare for that. I want to have my studios and my developers all in the same house so we don't have to go and find marketers to sell our stuff. If I have culture in the place that's creating stuff that's going to change culture, I want it all to come from us. But what's your product? How are you going to have a building before a product? I was like, oh, we're going to figure out the product. (laughs) Turns out I was bat crazy for having an empty vessel and then figuring it out later. We figured it out.
1: In 2012, he founded his own tech startup, IAM Plus. It began as a consumer tech company focusing on wearables. One of their first product rollouts was the Photo.Socio, an iPhone accessory that looked like an Instamatic camera. Another? Fashion Ford earbuds called Buttons that look exactly like what their name suggests. But Will was looking to go bigger, of course. Their flagship product?
2: It came from an idea he had back when he worked at Intel. When I worked at Intel, I helped the futurist department. I said, well, why don't you guys create your own operating system if no one's building an operating system on your mobile chipsets? That's what gave me the aha moment that when I get some disposable money, I'm gonna create an operating system. Like, how hard could it be? Anyways, (laughs) turns out to be freaking impossible, let alone hard. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) But we did.
1: IM Plus developed Omega, a new AI interface that Will says will be better than Siri or Alexa. Their goal is to create an AI voice-activated interface with better context awareness, like a Siri that has gotten to know you. In 2017, IM Plus raised $117 million in venture financing. A large portion of that came from Salesforce Ventures. You remember from the 2011 Super Bowl.
2: Mark Benioff has been there every step of the way. They invested in every round.
1: As you've no doubt noticed, Will IM's career offers an almost infinite number of examples of how you can leverage a big opportunity into something truly epic. From building on a solid foundation to being the table, Will has mastered leverage. But there's one aspect of leverage we haven't touched on yet. Timing. When you're building scale, it isn't just about moving fast. It's often about leveraging an event or a moment that can give you liftoff. Sometimes you're racing against the competitor. Sometimes you're racing toward your own rocket launch. And sometimes when you're am, there's an actual rocket leaving the planet from Mars. We'll let
2: Will set the scene. I'm on tour and I called Ron Conway. I'm like, Ron, do you know the guy that created the Segway?
3: Ron Conway is a Silicon Valley super angel investor. The Segway is a two-wheeled motorized personal vehicle.
2: He was like, I don't know the guy that owns the Segway company, but I know the guy that created the technology behind it. I was like, can you connect me with him? I want to figure out a way to take the governor off, because I found this team that I want to test out to take the technology and create a new type of vehicle, but I don't want to create a vehicle that goes 30 miles an hour. Can you take the governor off is what I want to ask him.
1: If you didn't catch that, Will is wondering whether it's possible to remove the speed regulator on a Segway, which it turns out is very dangerous. And its inventor, Dean Kamen, told him as much. But when the two got to talking and Kamen offered Will a quid pro quo, I help you with your vehicle, you help me with something too.
2: He's like, oh, I have this thing called FIRST. I was like, what's FIRST? That's the problem. I've been doing it for 20 years and nobody knows about it. FIRST is the high
1: school robotics competition Kamen founded. He thought maybe Will could come to the event's kickoff and lend a little star power.
2: He says, um, I need you to help me make first cool. I was like, I just can't help you make it cool. It's already cool. It just needs to be a little louder.
1: I like thinking of these escalating opportunities this way. Like a volume knob, you can just ratchet up to 11. Loud translates into a wider audience, a bigger impact. Loud lets whole other communities hear you outside your own.
2: I was like, but... Why don't you make a TV show? He was like, nobody wants to put a robotics competition on TV. I was like, well, I just bought time on Fox. Why don't you call up ABC and buy time?
1: Does this sound familiar yet? Will is still using those lessons he learned from the Super Bowl about how to parlay airtime, how to move it around, and how to
2: shape it in creative ways. So I called up ABC and said, hey, how much does an hour cost? I want to create a program called First Robotics. I am first for a robotics competition and a concert. So I got the Kids Choice Awards and Nickelodeon to do that. And then Dean helped me get companies like Boeing and Johnson & Johnson to buy the ad buys. It was great. No one lost any money. Obama kicked it off, brought a whole bunch of recognition and eyeballs to it. Instead of begging the network
1: to air a noble ratings loser... Will restructured the event and sponsorships in a way that would attract attention, which attracts more sponsors. He turned a favor into a mutually beneficial gift. Pulling this off required every one of the leverage techniques we've looked at so far. A rock-solid foundation of an established competition with real scale. Unexpected partnerships that are bigger than the sum of their parts. Creativity as capital to bring value to the partnership. And just like the Super Bowl halftime show, each separate element of the first robotics competition reflected back onto another, amplifying the event as a whole. And what happens? Well, Will doesn't just settle for that big opportunity. He leverages it into something epic.
2: Because of that, NASA then calls me up to JPL to help them think around their stuff.
1: That's right, NASA called. They saw Will's work for the first robotics program and thought, this is the man to invite to our jet propulsion lab and direct more eyeballs to the launch of our Mars rover, Curiosity.
2: I was like, well, why don't you have a concert at a rocket launch? So I was like, you, we can't have a concert at a rocket launch. A rocket launch is too loud. I was like, well, have you been to a rock concert? He was like, "Will, have you ever seen a rocket take off? I mean, yes, the rock concert's loud, but a rocket launch, one, yeah. you're not going to get anywhere near the rocket launch to have a rock concert. The blast radius is just, you know, it, it's going to be pointless. And loud. Right? And loud.
1: Eventually, we Will hit upon a better idea. He'd write a song specifically for the Curiosity mission.
2: I was like, okay, well, what happens when the rocket lands on Mars? Oh, it sends a signal back. Well, instead of sending a signal back, why can I can't it send a song back? Can you do that to all the classrooms across America? Never thought of that. Well, who's going to make the song? I'll make the song. <laughs> I can make it.
1: That song, Reach for the Stars, became the first song ever to be transmitted to Earth from another planet. Students and special guests gathered at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena to watch the broadcast. And just because Will I Am never ever passes up an opportunity to go bigger, the event was also used to let me count these out. One, promote a separate STEM initiative for Will's foundation. Two, raise awareness for NASA. And three, promote the song itself, which then appeared on Will's solo album, Willpower. That is how you leverage a big opportunity into something truly epic, on an interplanetary scale.
2: My mom called me the little engine that could. (laughs) I said, hey, I wanna shoot for the stars. I was like, "But well, what if you don't make it? I was like, well, then I'm off the planet. If I shoot away from here, I'll get off the planet.
1: I'm Reid Hoffman. Thanks for listening.
3: Hi, everyone. It's Jeff Berman, CEO of Wait What and co-host of the Masters of Scale podcast. Like many of you, my to-do list changes by the minute. That's Grammarly.com.
1: Masters of Scale is a
3: Wait What original.
1: The show is recorded on-site in California and produced at the studio inside SY Partners in New York. Our executive producers are June Cohen and Darren Triff. Our producers are Chris McLeod, Adam Skuse, Jenny Cataldo, Jordan McLeod, Catherine Clark-Gray, Hallie Bondi, and Ben Manila. Our supervising producer is Jay Punjabi. Music and sound design by Ryan Holiday and Daniel Nissenbaum. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Chris Yeh, Elisa Schreiber, David Sanford, Saida Sapieva, Bob Safian, Christina Gonzalez, and Sarah Sandman. Visit mastersofscale.com to find the transcript for this
0: episode, and be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter.